0: All right, so um, you can join me in Jeremiah 29. Um, I do have some slides. If, if some of the scriptures are not on there, just use your device or your paper Bible. Um, Jeremiah 29 has been uh, a great encouragement for me in my life. I've always referred back to it plenty of times, especially uh, when, when things aren't going as great as I've hoped they would. Um, this has always been an encouraging verse and I want to share it with you. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, we live in a, in a day and time where the future looks kind of bleak and, and it's almost like as if it's increasingly bleak, bleaking, bleaching, I don't know. And it's, and it's, it's like, it's like we, we as Christians have the, the greatest resource to our availability to not have to become the same as the world, to not adhere to the pattern of this world. So if you think about this, what's the pattern out there currently? It's hopelessness, it's negativity. It, and, it, and yet, we're able, we're able to draw from a source, y'all, that the world does not have. We're able to draw from a well that the world does not have access to. How sad is it when Christians do not draw from it, do not drink from it deeply, do not draw from that source and just become the same as the world. Our speech becomes the same as the world, our thought life becomes the same as the world. It's a tragedy. And I'm hoping to impart something here today that'll cause you to to drink deeply from this source that God has made available to us as Christians. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. If you've ever felt alone like nobody's listening to you, like nobody understands you, let me tell you, you have a source. You have a person who is willing to listen and who knows you better than you even know yourself, that is willing to sit with you and hear you out. And he will understand you. Absolutely will understand you. And he's willing to, to, to sit with your situation and look. Your situation might be complex, but look, he is the God that created this complex world. He's able to understand your situation. And no matter what you've gone through, how hard it has been, he's able to give you hope and steps forward because he listens and he understands. And he says there, and I will listen to you and the promise you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. We're gonna talk about that last bit there a little bit and, 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 and break that out for us today to see how does that happen. I wanna tell you this, that it's the goodness of God, that it, the goodness of God is the foundation of our experience of God. It undergirds all of the kingdom of God. When you lose sight of the goodness of God, your Theology starts crumbling because then you have to find different reasons for why things are the way they are. And this Jeremiah verse, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future, is, is a foundational verse of God's intention toward humanity. God's intentions toward you is to give you hope, to give you a future. His intentions toward you is to, 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 to prosper you. And you have to take that and take that as the founding thought of God's will toward your life. If you, if you don't, if you don't take that and you settle that in your heart that God is good, then so many things in scripture is not gonna make sense to you and you're gonna actually take your experiences and your, 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 your life, you know, and you're gonna start wanting to make sense of it from a perspective that has no foundation in the goodness of God. And that is shaky, shaky, shaky ground. In fact, it's in moments like that where Christians start losing their hope, they start losing their faith in God, they start losing their trust in the word, the truth of God's word, they start drawing into question things that ought never be drawn into question. And so I wanna encourage you Make sure you understand this concept of the goodness of God. Psalm 31 verse 19 says, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. So think about our situation right now. Things are a little scary, but we're positioned, we're lined up to receive God's protection and God's blessing in the midst of a watching world. Wouldn't it be amazing if the world can look at Christians and go and say, wow, those are a bunch of hopeful, positive people. I wonder what they're smoking. Because if they're truly in the world, that's what they'll think, right? They'll, they won't go, oh, they must be reading the Bible. No, 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 no. That's not where they'll immediately jump to. The conclusion, they'll come up with, man, they must have some good stuff. How awesome wouldn't it be if you get an encounter like that and you can tell somebody, look, I got some good stuff, but it's not what you think. Psalm 27 says, "Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living." So often we go like, "Oh yeah, I know," you know, one day in the great by and by, you know, and then we want to sing of you know all sorts of songs about. No, it's here. It's now. (laughs) It's for today. We sang that song, your kingdom come is what we're living for. We pray that prayer, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet sometimes it just, it just doesn't click in our brains. That what we're saying is that we're expecting God's goodness to manifest in our reality today. Not someday, but today. If you believe God is good, you will be able to trust in his word Entirely, you'll have a hope for the future, patience in trials, intimacy in waiting. You'll have joy in tribulation, peace in turmoil, resilience in testing, healing in trauma, acceptance in discipline, contentment in lack and in abundance, generosity in lack and in abundance. And you'll be able to feel again even if you've been numbed by life's experiences. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, I'm afraid that you have been tricked into the same lie that Adam was sold. Don't trust God's words. Find another way to make sense of things. And then when you... Believe that. You come into agreement with the enemy like that. It changes your perspective. And you start seeing the whole world in a different light. You start seeing church in a different light. You start seeing Christians in a different light. And very soon you start seeing God in a different light. Because you have to make sense of what you're experiencing, right? And you've lost your foundational thought that God is good. You wonder about evil and suffering and you, and you think because it's present in the world, that must mean that there's something wrong with my theology. No, evil and suffering doesn't disprove the goodness of God, it merely proves the absence of God from our lives. Just because God is sovereignly in charge of this world, it doesn't mean that he's in control of every little decision that we make. And this is a fundamental thing that Christians have to understand that you have been given the the agency of a free will that causes us and enables us to make decisions that is sometimes outside of God's prerogative. And when we make decisions outside of God's prerogative, God's product doesn't get delivered anymore. It is now the product of our own actions and decisions that gets produced. And I don't think we generally realize the gravity of this situation. We think, yeah, 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 it's fine. But in the back of our minds, we still have this idea that, you know, God is going to control every little thing. And if it doesn't happen according to what I hope, then it's still his fault, no, the gravity of the situation here means that when I do things outside of God's will and I experience consequences that are not His design, by His, by his design, then that is entirely my fault. It does not take away from the sovereignty of God. Because if you... Could imagine a world of seven billion people where God was in control of every little action and every little decision that we made. You would think of a God that's pretty powerful, right? And he controls everything and makes everything happen just the way he wants it through every human being. And at the end of the day, he produces his outcome through that, right? That's a pretty powerful God. You know what's an even more powerful God? a God that is not in control of every single decision that gets made and still can be fully in control of the outcome. There are 7 billion wills on this planet more than, yet God is still fully in control of the final outcome. That's the kind of God that I wanna put trust into. Why? Because when things don't make sense, I know it doesn't have to make sense for it to work out good. I can still trust him in the middle of chaos. There are three reasons why evil and suffering persist in this world. The one is that there is a devil and he is wreaking havoc. He does not comply to God's desires. He does not listen to God. He disobeys him around every corner and he speaks the opposite of his will and his truth. And if you come into agreement with him, it is his will that will be done in your life as it is in the spiritual world, so here with you on earth. We must not come into agreement with the works, the ideas, the thoughts of the devil. The second thing is the world we live in is simply broken. This world is broken. I don't know if you've noticed, (laughs) but we don't live in a perfect world. Things break. Things don't go right. they don't go according to plan. It's a broken world. Our plans fail. Our intentions don't work out the way we wanted them to work out. It's, 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 It's a reality that we're faced with. And in such a world, things are going to break that you hoped would not. Things are going to happen that you hoped would not. And it's not because God wanted it to happen. No, if you want to know what God's will is, go look at Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. That was what he created, what he desired, what he wanted, what he purposed. That was his desire and his will. How things operate now are no longer according to his perfect will. It was never his will that man would disobey him. So what does that mean? Does that mean that, that, that you know, God made a mistake? No. God made a design that was able to go against him. He never desired that that design go against him. And you have to differentiate between those two. But because we decided to disobey God, we are facing consequences here. And every little thing that happens is God is not to blame. For the most part, it's just this broken world. This world is broken. There are things like sicknesses. There are things like accidents. There are things like tragedies that happen. And it's not because God has some cosmic plan and that's why this instant incident had to take place no it's because this is a broken world in the midst of it though we understand that God is still in control of the final outcome God has placed some measures in place that will guarantee us still to have hope for what he is doing the third reason is that people make mistakes Think about this. It takes one little mistake on the road and somebody loses their life, could lose their life. God did not make that accident happen. The person that didn't look made that accident happen. And the sooner we realize that man bears the responsibility of most of basically everything that goes wrong on this planet, we stop blaming God. And when you stop blaming God for what's gone on in your life that was bad, you can embrace again the founding thought of his goodness, which will set you up again for rebuilding from that place where you have broke down to. But the goodness of God is your first step of recovery. Understanding the goodness of God helps you to interpret when you experience things like condemnation. This is not from God. When God is asking you to do things that actually it's never God that's asking you to do those things. You can interpret, this is just me or this is the devil or my doubts because God is good. The quicker we we understand how much this agency that God gave us actually determines many things in our lives, the easier it'll be for us to realize that God is not a bad God. It's not that whole yin yang thing. Y'all know that yin yang symbol? And the basic philosophy behind that is in everything bad, there is just a something little bit good and in everything good, there's just a little bit of evil. And we've taken that philosophy and we've literally um, put it on God and said, well, you know, God is good, but, God is good, but, you know, God is good, but he gave me this sickness to deal with. You know, God is good, but you know, he, 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 he made me lose my job. God is good, but. And you have to know that if you have to put a but after the statement, God is good, that there's still something missing in your perspective about God's character. God is good all the time. I thought you'd get that. But what about Joseph who was, who were, you know, sold to slave owners by his brothers? Or Daniel that was condemned, you know, because he prayed to God. What about that? It was God in that? Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was condemned because they refused to bow to a statue. Esther, who had to sacrifice her life just when she got the greatest, like, you know, breakthrough a Jewish girl of the time could get. David, who was anointed king and had to wait 15 years before he could ascend the throne. What about Elijah, who had to hide from Jezebel right after he did one of the biggest miracles? And God just, like, you know, Where was God in that? Abraham, who almost gave up, had to wait so long, couldn't understand why, made mistakes in the middle of it, yet kept trusting. Noah, who was ridiculed for 100 years while he was building the ark. What about that? What about Mary, who allowed God to make her pregnant? Knowing that that would basically make everybody in her life think of her as a sinner, as an adulterer, somehow these people had to have had a foundational belief that the goodness of God would eventually come through in their life. And either would vindicate them or provide for them or save them or help them. But even if he wouldn't, their belief was that God was good. Shadrach, Meshach, they were threatened by that fiery furnace and they said king we're not going to bow to this 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 statue and you know what we're we're, we're fully confident that the goodness of god is going to save us from from this but even if he doesn't it doesn't change anything about him we're still going to stay faithful to our belief in his goodness let me tell you one of the the biggest things that causes us to lose our conviction in the goodness of god and this is something i want to jump into Today, (laughs) and y'all just just have grace because this is something we all struggle with, okay? It's called cynicism, all right? Cynicism creates a numbness towards life's possibilities and we begin to slowly adjust our expectations so that we can live within those confines. Cynicism is poison. Cynicism is poison. And we all have a dose of it. And I think as years go by and life happens to us, I think it's very often the case that cynicism just increases. We start being skeptical of everything. We look for the the hidden angle, the hidden agenda. We look for the, the dark cloud in between the silver lining instead of the other way around. We think, you know, it's gonna keep me safe. If I hope for the best, but I expect the worst, it's gonna protect me from things. It's gonna protect me from disappointment, from hurt. And you know what, it might protect you from disappointment at times, but here's what it also does, and this is why it's so dangerous. It actually paralyzes you from actually doing much of anything. Tends to lead to skepticism, bitterness, frustration, and eventually it just leads to a completely unfruitful life. We're just existing and just hoping to make it. Just making it. One person stated this way I think we've built up scar tissue from our frustrations, and we don't want to expose ourselves to that anymore. And so fear of disappointment and hurt starts constraining us. Cynicism causes us to be distant in relationships. It destroys intimacy. Not only intimacy with God, but it also destroys intimacy with people around us. It's essentially the opposite of believing that God is good. It's almost expecting that God has some hidden agenda, that somehow somewhere is just gonna hit me. So, what we do is we turn to a form of self preservation and we think we can protect ourselves through our own strength, judgment, reasoning, and uh, um, we determine to live life like that. That's what cynicism does. Cynicism is the opposite of what God wants us to live in, the perspective that He wants us to live in. You see, a praying life is engaging it's it's actually a risk taking life it's a life that 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 it tries to connect and tries to put myself out there to you know be uh, experience uh, to experience relationship experience love experience breakthrough experience freedom experience uh, community but cynicism literally paralyzes me from even trying to do that it makes me put myself in this in this protective bubble where nobody else can actually penetrate. And I think what it does is it's, it's good for me, but all it actually does is it makes me more lonely, more isolated, and more depressed. Here's the last thing that is so sad about cynicism. Cynicism causes us to stop drawing from this source, this well that God has given us to draw from. And so we'll read verses like John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. you ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And you go, eh. John 16, 23. In that day you'll ask nothing of me, but truly I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Eh. I don't know. In my experience, X, Y, and Z, Mark eleven. I tell you, whatever you ask for prayer and believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Mm. I don't know about this Bible thing. I don't know if it really works. I would read these scripture verses, and 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 many of us would go like, "Yes, but," you know. When I tried this, here's what transpired. And because we have this this lack of a foundation in the goodness of God, when we have a negative experience, we immediately throw out the expectation that if we have faith and patience, Remember, faith is not just belief. Faith is response to God's word. Faith leads to obedience to his principles and practices. Faith leads to me implementing his word in my life, acting rather according to his way rather than the world's way. That's all that, so if I have faith and patience and persistence, eventually, the goodness of God will come through in my life. But now the opposite is taking place and I start drawing back from it. I go, You know, i got to rather really figure this out on my own. So i got to go and figure out how I do it. And it draws me away from people, draws me away from my church, draws me away from counsel, draws me away eventually from the Word of God. Eventually, it also will draw you away from God Himself if you don't put a stop to it. That's what cynicism does. It's a faith killer. Let me share with you an area that I have personally of great concern. And that is for our next generation. You know, statistics say that kids leave church at record numbers once they leave home. We encourage our, our, our church members to make sure that they instill a value for, for being a part of a spiritual family in our, in our church kids while, while they're still in school. But the reality is that, and I don't know if it's in our church the same way, but in life, you see it definitely. 66% of kids who leave home also leave church, stop going to church. Why is that? I believe one of the reasons are because when they're in church, they find cynicism instead of hope. You know, we would say things like this. Well, you know, kids these days, And you complete the sentence that you usually use there. <laughs> when we were kids, we would never blah, 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 blah. I feel sorry for kids these days, you know? It's really different. It's really, it's not as nice as when we were kids, you know? You forget all the bullying that happened when you were on the school grounds. And you forget all the hardship you had to face because etc., etc. because the good old days, right? You know, this world has basically gone to fill in the blank. It's not even worth fighting for. Why should I care? You know what? I'm gonna get my own. I'm gonna protect my own. I'm going to fight for my own. Churches are going to fix anything anyway, so why invest time in it? We've lost our expectation of the goodness of God cause caused us to become cynical, and you know what? Our kids see it, and they act on it. Why should I go to youth? Why should I go to church? Why should I believe in God? Dad believes more my sporting career to provide for college than he does in God. Why should I go to church? My parents believe family downtime is more important than going to church. Why should I, why should I believe in trusting God? Mom believes more in lady luck at the roulette table. <laughs> uh, our lifestyles are being observed and they see the cynicism in our own actions and our own opinions and our own statements, and you know what, they act on it. They act on it. And look, I know that kids have to be shaped and and the next generation have to be trained and groomed, and that sometimes they disappoint, I know that. I spent 16 years of my life doing college ministry I know very intimately the disappointments that come from young people that make decisions that aren't according to God's will, young people that promise one thing and do another thing. I know that very intimately, but you know what? Somewhere in there, I had a choice to make. Am I gonna become cynical about the next generation or am I gonna be, remain hopeful about them? And actually that was a bigger faith crisis because I couldn't look at the youth and answer that question. I had to look at God and answer that question for myself. Is he the God of the next generation or isn't he? Does he have a good plan and purpose for the next generation or doesn't he? Because if he doesn't, then all hope is lost. But let me tell you, if he does, then I am contradicting his plan. I am contradicting his will and I am an enemy of his plan by becoming cynical of the next generation. Let me tell you, when kids become a part of a church and they find cynicism, guess what they'll do? They'll check out fast and you can check out of a Chick-fil-A line. But what if we are a church family where our children see something different than cynicism? What if we're a church family that can provide them with such a reason to live that they'll be willing to even die for it? What if we're a church family that tells them, we believe in you, because not do we really believe just in your capacity, and believe? no, we believe in your God. Yeah. And that He is good. And that he's going to lead your generation to make amazing things happen. So I believe today God is asking us to repent of cynicism. Repent of our cynical mindsets, our cynical statements, our cynical words. And it's going to require some filtering, y'all. It's going to require some self you know, um, assessment, to, to, to look at us and say, what are these things we always say? What are these, you know, colloquial statements, these, these cultural things that we just always, almost saying without even thinking about it again uh, before we saying it, that are really actually just from a place of cynicism in our lives. It says here, James 4 verse 8, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In another place it says, you can't be double-minded and think that you're going to receive anything from God. We have to get our minds made up. Do we believe in the goodness of God or don't we? Do we believe the goodness of God counts for every generation or don't we? And then from that, purify ourselves. Cleanse ourselves from these things that we say, think, and do. It's really, it's a purifying, it's a purifying that needs to take place. We need to go wash ourselves. And you know what the Bible says? We wash ourselves with the water of the word of God. We need to get more word and less of our own reasoning. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But we've we've stopped really responding to the word of God because hmm, when you lose your conviction about God's goodness, why trust the word? It just becomes words, opinions of another guy. But for us, they are a well of life if we will choose to draw from them and drink from it. Listen to what God said through the uh, prophet John in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter two, verse four, he says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me in the beginning. Verse five says this, think about how far you've fallen. Remember that time you just gave your life to Jesus? Hope flooded your soul. Things were just amazing. And then a couple of years later, cynicism steps in. And you go, oh, I thought it was going to be a little different than this. And so that must not be completely true. You know, that part of the Bible must have been, there must have been a wrong translation, right? (laughs) After all, the Bible is just written by humans, right? And we start making huge, huge leaps away from trusting and, and believing in the founding thoughts of, of, of our faith. That this is an inerrant word that was inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, correcting, reproof, and instruction in. Verse 5 says this Think about how far you fall, repent, and do the works of love you did. At first, do the things you used to do, the opinions you used to have, the belief, the faith, the trust, the the, the excitement, the expectation that you used to have, the service, the willingness to, 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 to give of yourself to God and his kingdom, do those things again. So we have allowed all these opinions to grow in our hearts along with the word of God so that what Matthew 13 verse 22 says is true of us. Some seeds were thrown among weeds that represents the person who received the message, but all of life's busy distractions and his divided heart. Let me tell you, if you're cynical, you have a divided heart. Your heart is no longer purely trusting God anymore. You have other opinions that you're adhering to that are causing another fruit in your life that is not the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of faith. His ambition for wealth resulted in suffocating the kingdom message. If you have any doubts about the word of God, in any formal way, you have to realize that there are some weeds in your heart that's choking out the word of God. There are some opinions, some ideas, some concepts that you've bought into that is now influencing you to stop believing the true word of God. It's choking the word, it's choking the truth. That's where you start. Wherever you struggle to believe the word of God, that's where your investigation starts. Why am I struggling to believe this? What other thoughts and opinions are contrary to this that I've bought into? Reject them. Stop believing in them. And start believing again in what what the word says. You know, it's important that we know that the cynicism is an issue because some of us aren't even aware that it's a problem. Well, I'm hoping today makes it loud and clear that a cynical attitude is not a biblical attitude. You won't protect yourself through cynicism. You hurt yourself through cynicism. You cancel your faith through cynicism and you line yourself up for a hopeless existence. Because the opposite of cynicism is actually hope. Hope says, even though it is not yet, I can see that it still will be. Hope says, it might not have worked out perfectly, But here's what did work out good. Hope helps you to stay focused on the word of God. In fact, in a climate of hope, faith is actually possible. When you have no hope, you can't have faith. Hope and faith are not the same thing, but you need an atmosphere of hope in your life for you to be able to act in faith. When you lose hope, you stop applying the principles. You stop acting according to God's word. You stop believing that the goodness of God will manifest through his ways. And you start thinking, how can I do it my own way? How can I figure out my own way? The second thing I believe we have to do is we have to embrace hope again. Psalm 42, 11, why my soul are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God and I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Hope is the opposite of cynicism. Hebrews 11 verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things we hope for. Meaning if you don't hope for something, there's nothing to have faith for. Faith is the assurance. In other words, faith gives you the confidence to walk toward what you expect to happen. But if you're expecting the worst, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, that's not faith. That's not biblical advice. That's not kingdom mindset, that's cynicism. Hoping for the best but expecting, you think you can protect yourself that way? You won't. Your faith will dwindle and you will stop living according to God's word and it'll result in destruction as every time it happens when we don't walk according to his will. But if you repent of cynicism and embrace hope today, sure, there might be times where you will still be disappointed because we don't always ask for things and then they get done exactly how we asked for every single time. But every time you put your faith out and you risk trusting God and hoping in His goodness, You're opening up the path for walking in every other thing that he wants you to walk in. You're creating hope in your life that even though sometimes things don't work out our way, at the end of the day, this will also work together for his good, for our good and for his glory. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Let me tell you all, we need hope right now that the goodness of God will be seen in the land of the living. They will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. Come on, America. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Now imagine a group of people that walk like this. Don't you think? that there will be those who go, my goodness, i got to have me some of that. God is not done. God hasn't checked out. Not by a long shot. God's got the final end sorted. And the shortest path to it is through His Word. It's by His Word. So I want to invite you today to, to take a long, hard look at, at your attitude and ask yourself, has cynicism got a hold of me or am I hopeful? And I want to invite you today to, to root out cynicism out of your heart out of your mind and out of your mouth and replace it with hope in your heart, in your mind, and in your mouth. And I know as we do that, life is gonna spring up again. Let's all stand and pray. Let's all just have a private moment with God want you to just speak to him right there where you are. If this is something that you have to acknowledge that, that you've allowed in your life, won't you, won't you just tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I've allowed cynicism to become my protector, cynicism to become my opinion maker. In your heart, just pray this prayer after me. Lord, I embrace your hope. I will hope again, Lord. I will try again. I will trust again. I will go and read your word again, God. I will go and find out again what it is that your goodness is planning for my life, for our country, for our world. And I will align myself again and do the things again, create the expectation in my heart again for your goodness and your plan to prevail and to shine through in my life and in the people around me. God, I will expect good things of you again. I will expect new things from you, new callings, new anointing, new direction, new plans. Lord, I will expect new ideas, God, again of you. I feel that some people have just been so disappointed at at some of their attempts to achieve something and that they've literally just went and sat down and said, all right, I'm, I'm done. I invite you, friend, put your hand out, take God's hand and say this, I will try again, God. I will listen and I will follow. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Their hope will be restored, and they'll become powerful. The Baba says the people who know their God will be strong and carry out mighty exploits. Lord, I pray that you will, you will. Plant ideas and visions, God, dreams and desires in people's hearts in this church that will result in great exploits in our community and beyond. Lord, I pray as they step out in faith again, listening closely to your direction, to your guidance. We will see so many good things come forth from this group of people, from this next generation of people that learn how to serve you for their generation. Learn how to accomplish your kingdom for their generation through the tools and the ideas and the things that you've given them, you've released to them to use to expand your kingdom. God, I pray that you will give them dreams and inspire them, God, to do great things for you.